You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Welcome, my name is John Bruce, and uh, we would like to give you a gift of appreciation for coming, and you can get this uh, at our information desk outside right after the service. We've got a coffee tumbler, a uh, a water bottle, or a sippy cup uh, for your children, or those of you who have drinking problems. And uh, (laughs) if any of you have uh, prayer requests or requests for information about our church, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it over in our offering slot, and we'll get that information to you. You know, it wasn't until I was 20 and uh, asked Christ to come into my life that I actually became aware of, of sin. Up until that point, sin was just something I did that you didn't. But uh, one of the things I began to notice right after Jesus came to live in me was that I did do certain things uh, that the Bible said were sin. And so I figured, it, you know, all I have to do is stop swearing, stop lying, and stop sleeping in on Sundays and I'll have this Christian thing solved. Well, what looked like a minor tune-up began to look more and more like a major overhaul because every time I'd conquer one sin, I'd find five more underneath it. And, And I began to realize that my problem wasn't with my tongue, which occasionally blurted out inappropriate things, or with my tendency to procrastinate on everything, are my quick temper, that inside of me, there was something that was constantly making suggestions, constantly giving orders, tempting me and distracting me. It had a, had a unique ability to make sin look easy and attractive and make obedience look hard and boring. It, it convinced me that my opinions were truer than anybody else's and certainly truer than the Bible because after all, I was the most important person in the world. And I, I came to realize that I was infected with the disease the Bible calls sin. Because in the Bible, sin is not just behavior. Sin is a nature that we inherited from our first parents that makes us hostile towards God and in, unable to obey him And uh, it is the the biggest problem. It's our greatest enemy. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We are currently looking at the introduction to the story of the Bible, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, where the major themes of the Bible are laid out. Because you can't understand a story unless you start at the beginning. And right now, we're in the middle of the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel has a number of firsts. Cain and Abel are the first two men in history to offer a sacrifice to God. So their story marks the beginning of religion. And the two great branches of religion that run throughout the Bible, the religion of faith and the religion of works. Uh, the, the worship of our creator and the worship of a God of our own creation because God accepts Abel's offering, but rejects Cain's. 
and the story of Cain and Abel have the first murder in history and the first time the word sin is mentioned in, in the Bible. Sin enters the world when Adam and Eve break the only command God gave them. Don't eat from this one particular tree. And as a result of their sin, sin becomes part of human nature. And in the story of Cain and Abel, sin has been at work in people for over a century. And, and, and I think the reason the story of Cain and Abel are in the story of the Bible is to show how much sin has grown and metastasized like a cancer because it is the problem of sin that drives the whole story of the Bible. Today, I want to talk about three things about sin. Sin deceives, and then sin dominates, and then sin spreads. And then we'll talk about a little bit about God's cure for the disease of sin. So let's pray and, and ask the Spirit of God to give us his, his mind. Lord, thank you for your word. And again, we want to remember that you're the author and you're the only one that can teach us. And I pray for each one of us that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. Help us to, to understand the things you would have each of us individually understand. And we'll give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I, I see in the story of Cain and Abel about sin is that sin deceives. Which means that every sin begins with a thought. It's easy to think of temptation as a feeling or a craving or a desire. But the Bible would say that behind those feelings are actually lies that sin is telling us, that gives those feelings, those desires, those cravings power over us. God rejects Cain's sacrifice. And so let's begin at that point in the story. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Here's another first. This is the first time anger is mentioned in the Bible. But notice that God doesn't tell Cain not to be angry. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? People and situations don't make us angry. It's the way we think about people and situations that make us angry. A week or so ago, I was uh, stopped at an intersection waiting in a line of cars to turn left when a bike rider comes flying down the hill, runs the red light, and we all have to slam our brakes on. And, um, well, I was irritated. And, and, uh, and I, I said, you bike riders don't have to obey the laws like everybody else. And, and that went from being irritated with one bike rider to being irritated with all bike riders who I decided immediately are all outlaws. <laughs> and then I remembered something Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Happy are people who show mercy because they're going to need mercy. And I realized I was so glad that God's not like me. 
And God's patient and merciful and long-suffering. And I had more in common with that bike rider than not. And, I, and all this took place in just a couple of seconds. But my anger disappeared. Not because the, what the bike rider had done changed, but because the way I looked at it. Sin begins with a lie. And it's really the lie that's tempting us. And that's why God says to Cain, why are you angry? Now, Cain, if Cain would reply, he said, because you rejected my sacrifice. Because you like my brother more than me. Because I hate losing. I hate failing. Especially to my younger brother. All those things. And God replaces that lie with the truth. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? It's only one sacrifice. There'll be other sacrifices. And if you will learn why I couldn't accept this sacrifice because it wasn't offered by faith, you'll succeed. You'll do well. And you'll be happy. This isn't the end of the world. God tells him the truth. Sin begins with a lie. And so to conquer sin, I have to recognize that lie and replace that lie with the truth. Remember what Jesus does? When Jesus is tempted, Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he gets hungry, of course. And the devil comes to him and says, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? He's God. But remember, he has laid aside all his powers as God in order to become just like us, in order to be our savior. And so if Jesus would have, to satisfy his hunger turned the stones into bread, he no longer could be a true man. Jesus says, no, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm here to do what God has called me to do and trust him to provide for me. So then the devil takes him up on the top of the temple and he says, if you're the son of God, jump off, prove it. Because Psalm 91 says he'll give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all their ways. They will bear you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against the stone. If you're really the son of God, let's see your faith. And Jesus says, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. My job is not to test God. My God job is just to obey God, do what he tells me to do. So then... The devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And I think it's probably all the kingdoms of the world from the beginning of time to the end of time. And he says, all this I'll give to you if you'll just worship me. Now, he's offering Jesus something Jesus is going to have anyway. He just has to go through the cross to get it. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship and serve the Lord your God only. Jesus recognizes the lie and answers it with truth. And what that tells me is that to, to resist sin always begins with no. Always begins with realizing what's really, really true. Here. We're living in a battle zone. The world, sin in our body, which the Bible calls the flesh, um, the devil, pumping lies into our minds all the time. And what we have to realize is that our thoughts are not orders. They're just suggestions. 
And I need to, to fight the battle where it's first waged in my head. Do what Paul says, taking every thought captive to the beatings of Christ and challenging every thought that comes in with the truth of Scripture, what Paul calls taking every thought captive to the beatings of Christ. We all have a soundtrack, don't we? You know that soundtrack. Don't try because you'll fail. I better not make that phone call. Something bad's going to happen. If everybody doesn't love me, I can't be happy. Right? And that soundtrack's been going for a long time. What I've realized is my temptations are old, familiar friends. I don't have many new temptations. I just have the same temptations in different situations. And so I need to recognize those temptations and have a scripture ready to answer them with. I am really frustrated today. Nothing's going the way I wanted it to do. I've got to get control of the day. No. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. I don't want to make that phone call. Something bad is going to happen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. This guy is so out of line, I have got to set him straight right now. Let everyone be slow to, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you can unmask the lie that sin is feeding you, that's where we win the battle. Sin is a deceiver. Second, sin is a dominator. If we don't unmask the lie, we'll become slaves to sin because sin is a cancer. It is trying to take more and more control of every area of our lives. And that comes out in the story of Cain. By the way, are you, are you ever surprised or shocked at some of the thoughts that come into your mind? Vile. Violent. Sexually perverse thoughts. Well, it turns out Everybody has those thoughts. They're pretty, pretty much universal because they're not coming from us. They're coming from the sin that lives within us. Because sin always seeks to express itself to the greatest extent. Every lustful thought would become adultery if it could. Every covetous thought would become robbery. Every... Um, Hateful thought would be murder. Every unbelieving thought would become atheism. And that's why obedience begins with saying no. Look what God, God warns Cain here. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? We can, uh, there's hope for the future. You just need to repent and, and learn here. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. When sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, it comes from the outside, right? That serpent that snuck into the garden. But after Adam and Eve disobey God, sin is something on the inside. It becomes part of our nature. And God tells Cain that that sin is like a lion crouching at the door, ready to spring and devour him. In fact, that word desire, it's desire for you, is a very specific Hebrew word. It means the desire... To control, the desire to dominate. Sin wants to control you. 
Sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to take over every aspect of your mind, every aspect of your life and behavior. But you must master it. Is that true? Could Cain have mastered that sin? Well, we can't cure ourselves from the disease of sin. Only God can do that. But we can control the symptoms. And that's why even though everybody in the world is a sinner, there are good people and there's bad people, right? There are people who restrain their impulses, restrain the sin that's trying to dominate them, and there's people who, who give in. And so sin will grow unless we say no to it, uh, unless we die. When you become a Christian, your relationship with sin changes. Uh, Christ comes into your life, and everything that's true of him becomes true of you. First thing, you die, because he died. The old you, the slave of sin, is put to death. And because he rose, a new you is, rises, and, and you're now no longer a slave to sin. You're a child of God. Now, you still live in the same old body, which is still indwelt with sin, but you're a new person. And so you now have the power to say no to sin's suggestions, no to sin's commands. That's why Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign. Notice sin is still trying to reign in your body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. David says in Psalm 119, I have restrained my feet from every evil way so that I may keep your law. Obedience always starts with no. Lay aside the old man, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit, and put on the new man, who in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Because sin is trying to lie to me, sin is trying to dominate me, my obedience to God always begins by denying myself, denying what sin wants me to do, and following Christ. So last week, I finished my workout in the pool. I was on my way to the locker room, and I thought, I hope nobody's in the locker room because I'm in a hurry. I've got things to do today, and I want to get them done. And I thought, where did that, where did that thought come from? Because that thought basically is saying, I will be happier if I can do my plan for the day than if I can do God's plan for the day. And, I, and that's not true. I know that's not true. So I had to confess that and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I am available to you to be used any way you want me to, and you always use me at the most inconvenient times. So, so, <laughs> so sure enough, I go to the locker room, and I get in a conversation with a guy I didn't know very well, and we had a great conversation. And I uh, found out all the things we have in common, found out a lot about his spiritual background, his family's spiritual background, and he found out some about mine. It just, we really were, by the time I walked out of the locker room, I was 15 minutes late, but I was so much happier, you see. But it had to start with saying, no, I am not going to cling to my will here, ergo sin's will, but I'm going to do what God's will obedience, because sin wants to dominate us, wants to control us, there can never be peaceful coexistence between me and sin. I'm either prevailing or sin is prevailing. I'm either winning or sin is winning. There's never a truce as long as we're in this body. Which brings us to the third thing we learn about sin from the story of Cain, and that is sin spreads. Sin spreads. It deceives us. 
and then it dominates more and more of us, spreads through more and more of us, and then spreads from us to other people. That's kind of what the rest of the story, and that's why I think the story is in the Bible, because the, the sin, the problem of sin, our great enemy, is, is the, what drives the story of the Bible. And I think what God wants us to see is how after a century of sin living in humanity, how, how it has grown. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Now, do you think that God didn't know what had happened? Gosh, I misplaced Abel. Have you, have you seen him? No, God is giving Cain a chance to come clean, just like he gave Adam and Eve. But sin is hardening Cain. He, there's no remorse for what he's done, and he tries to hide it from God. And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth. God could have killed Cain at that point, but as we saw last week, God simply took away his job as a farmer and made him a nomad who would wander the earth. Now I want you to notice, Cain is not sad about the loss of his brother. Cain is not sad about the fact that he, is, he has offended God. He sinned against God. Cain says, behold, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. As we said last week, Cain is more afraid of the consequences of his sin than he is of the sin that lives in him that caused him to kill his brother. But here's a question. If Adam and Eve and Cain are the only three people on earth, who's Cain worried about killing him? See, it's easy to assume that when Genesis 4 happens, Cain and Abel and their parents are the only people on earth. And yet we know by this time there are probably at several thousand people living on earth. Here's the way we know it. The, the next significant birth in this story, which Jeff will talk about next week, is the birth of Seth. Seth begins the line from which the Messiah will come. Scripture tells us that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters, but that Seth was born in, after they had been around for 130 years. And when he's born, Eve says, God has given me a son to replace Abel. So Seth is the first child born after Cain kills Abel. So therefore, that's why this happens about a little less than 130 years after people have been on the earth. Does that make sense? So, so sin has been, been working in there. And so there's, if, you, if you just work it out mathematically, you figure how long it takes for 
humans to reproduce. They've had children. Their children have had children. Their children. So in 130 years of all this multiplication, there could easily be several thousand people on earth. Some people have estimated as high as 30,000. And so Cain says, I am worried that somebody will do to me what I did to Abel. Get the picture? So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign or a mark for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. We don't know what the mark of Cain was, but apparently it was a visible sign of warning from God that if you kill Cain, vengeance will be enacted on you sevenfold. You'll lose your whole family. Now we begin the rest of the line of Cain. And this is where we see how sin spreads. It starts with Cain, begins to spread to all of his offspring. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife. Who's his wife? It would either be a sister or a niece, right? And she conceived and gave birth to Enoch, not the famous Enoch, another Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born a whole bunch of people. But what I want to focus on is Lamech, the, the end line. Because Lamech is the, the end of the line of, of, of Cain. Because Lamech dies in the flood. Lamech dies in the flood. So that's where Cain's line ends, dies in the flood. Now, why is Lamech significant? Lamech took to himself two wives, the name of, of and Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, that, those were his wives. Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Look what's happened in five generations. If Cain is killed, vengeance will be enacted seven times. But Lamech says, after five generations of sin spreading and growing and metastasizing in the human race, somebody kills me. 500 people need to be killed. So it is, is the law of vengeance, which we see all over the world. That's why the days of Noah were the worst days in human history. Look at what God says to Noah. We'll look at this coming weeks. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come up before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them and behold I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Days of Noah are the worst time of history. There's no government. There's no police. There's no military. There's no authority. It is the law of the jungle. Only the strong survive. The only law is the law of vengeance. Kill one of mine, I'll kill a lot more of yours. And so the world has become such a violent place that God says, I'm going to send a flood not out of judgment, to preserve the human race because the human race is going to exterminate itself before we ever get to the Messiah. You see? Now let me ask you a question. Where did that violence start? With Cain. You see? So what I want you to see is how, 
how sin not only spreads in my life, but then it's contagious. It spreads through my life to the people around. That's why, why God says to those who hate me, their sins will be visited to the third and fourth generation. That doesn't mean that God's punishing. It's just saying that that's the reality, that sin will grow and grow in each generation. And we see that, don't we? That we're all, we're all results to one extent or another from the parents, the houses we grew up in, the families we grew up in. And that's why one of the main motivations for me in, in living as a Christian is because my behavior impacts my children and my grandchildren. Look at Proverbs. A righteous person who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sin, sons after him. The way I live will affect the lives of my kids and their kids and their kids, whether they see me or not. And, and you can see this pattern that we see in Genesis 4 the first time throughout the scripture of how the, the, the walk of the parents will influence for good or for evil the walk of their children and their children and their children. So the point is sin deceives and the more it deceives, the more it dominates us and then it begins to spread to other people. All the problems in my life are because of sin. And all the problems in society are because of sin. That is the, that's the great enemy. That's the problem that drives the whole story of the Bible. And that's why the good news of the gospel is that God not only releases us from the penalty for our sins, but he releases us from the power of sin. You know, Jesus said that the whole Bible was about him. And the Old Testament is the promise of this human being who will undo what Adam and Eve have done. And, and there are pictures and signs of this human being all the way through the Old Testament. Abel is one of those pictures of Christ. Look at Hebrews. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The writer to the Hebrews compares Jesus with Abel. And think about the similarities. Abel was a shepherd. Jesus was a shepherd. Abel offered a sacrifice. Jesus offered a sacrifice. Abel offered sheep. Jesus offered himself as the Lamb of God. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. Abel was killed by his jealous brother. Jesus was killed by his jealous brothers. Abel was the first martyr who died because of his faith in God. Jesus died because of his faith in God. But there the similarities end. Because the writer says that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. We just read the passage. What did that blood of Abel call for? His blood is crying from the ground. What was it crying for? Judgment, justice, vengeance. But what does Jesus' blood call for? Forgiveness, 
mercy. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. By one offering, he has made all who believe in him perfect for all time. Christ's blood releases us from the penalty for our sins so God can, can declare us forgiven and pardoned, but it also releases us from the power of our sin as we participate in Christ's death and resurrection. And then we began a lifetime battle, as long as we're in this body, with the power of sin that is always trying to rule over us. Sin will, today, sin will try and deceive you. Today, sin will try and dominate you. Today, sin will try to spread throughout you to other people. But the great hope is that the Christ who lives in you is greater than the sin that lives in you. And that we have the power to obey him and experience life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for helping us to understand ourselves, to understand that the voices we hear in our heads aren't always from us, and they aren't always from you. And I pray, Lord, that we will turn to Christ, the only one who can heal us from the sin that lives in us, so that we can walk in a way that brings us life and not death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.